Well, this first part of my sermon is for the children, especially those who are with us technologically today. But it's also for all of you, I hope, who are young at heart. Today is the last Sunday of Advent, which means Christmas is this week. And I wonder if any of you are thinking about giving and receiving gifts this week. Have you planned to give something special to someone you love? Are you wondering if a parent or someone else who loves you remembers that certain thing that you wanted? When I was in seminary, I had a classmate whose wife crocheted prayer shawls. And one day, he asked me if I would like her to make one for me. Yes, of course, I said, I'd love one. What color should she make for you? He asked. And I said, light blue. <laughs> this is what she made for me. What do you think? You're right, it's not light blue. It was not the gift I would offer. Yet in that moment, I loved it. It was just what I needed. And I'll tell you why red was so perfect for me right then. But first of all, I want to draw your attention to something else. Because in that moment, I had a choice. I could have been disappointed. I mean, light blue and red are not even close. Although, to be fair, it is a prayer shawl, and most often when I have it on, my eyes are closed. So it makes no difference. But do you know what? Probably each one of us who are here today know that when Jesus was born, many, many people over many, many years had been waiting for the Messiah to come. But Jesus coming as a little baby and later as a grown man who made no effort to kind of fight those bad guys wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. They were disappointed. Jesus was not the gift they expected. And they absolutely were not looking for a baby. A baby requires something from us. A baby is vulnerable. A baby needs a mom and a dad and others to take care of him or her. A baby needs love and protection. In a way, it's a baby's job to be loved and cared for. And that is exactly what God intended those who were watching and waiting for him to understand. God was and is seeking a relationship with us. And that is what the color red spoke to me that day. There is a lovely scripture verse written by King David to God that says, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. David wanted God to love and protect him. So do I, and I imagine you do too. Of course, that little phrase, apple of my eye, isn't talking about an apple. It means special. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you look into the pupil, that center black part, of another person's eye, you can see your own tiny little reflection in their eye? That's what apple 
of my eye means. When my friend handed me this shawl, that is the picture that came to my mind. I saw a red prayer shawl made just for me. And I felt as if God was saying to me, Dawn, I see you. I know you. You are the apple of my eye. There's a verse in our Old Testament reading from today that says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And you know something that's fun about that verse? A mighty one, one who rejoices over us and quiets us. It's such a beautiful description of mutual love. Love that is shared between people, or in this case, between a person and God. Can't you just imagine holding a little baby in your arms, protecting and caring, rejoicing and singing, maybe even loud joyous over that precious little life? Last week, a friend of mine said, Mary gave birth to a baby. We give birth to a life in Christ. Mary gave birth to a baby. You give birth to a life in Jesus. Life in Christ is relational. It is shared love with God and others in caring, comforting, singing, and rejoicing kinds of ways. Over this next week, Let's truly welcome Jesus coming as a baby, even as we long for his return. Let us ask Jesus to show us how to nurture our love for him and how to receive love from him. Jesus wants a relationship with each one of us. And when the Messiah came as a baby, God was inviting people into the very heart of his love in a way that they were simply not expecting. Knowing God's heart for us really helps us as we wait for his return. So let's pray for just a minute. Lord Jesus, we bless children, but actually we bless all who've come today to worship you, to love you, to be loved by you. Surprise us with your love, Lord, and take delight in the ways we show love back to you. Amen. Good morning. It's sweet to be back with you. By God's mercy, grace, and the caprice of COVID, Father Paul and I were with you on the first Sunday of Advent. And fittingly, for the sake of a baby, we're back again on the fourth. We also had the pleasure of celebrating in the consecration of this thing when Julian was here. And the sweetest part of that service for me was standing outside those closed doors while the bishop knocked three times, loudly proclaiming, 
Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And we responded, Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, even the Lord, mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This is the first year that I have deeply appreciated the relatively recent Anglican tradition of Christ the King Sunday, which precedes Advent. It ends out the old year, and then it welcomes liturgical year where we proclaim the authority of Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Indeed, the governments of the world shall be upon his shoulders and he will reign someday over all the world in peace. Hallelujah. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come King of glory. Bernard of Clairvaux, the founder of the Cistercian Order of Monks, said that Christ comes to us in three ways. First, Christ comes to us in Bethlehem at Christmas. Second, at the end of the age. And thirdly, in the lives of believers every single day. First, Christ comes to us in Bethlehem at Christmas. Today our gospel passage is of the beautiful exchange between two women carrying miracle babies. Elizabeth, whose husband Zachariah lies, was past the age of conception. I wonder if she was my age. And Mary, who'd never known a man. Out of the silence of nearly 400 years, Mary and Elizabeth receive fresh, prophetic words from God. Blessed is she who believed what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth nails it. Mary believed. And the child, John the Baptist, still in Elizabeth's womb as she was filled with the Holy Spirit, recognized the embryo Messiah within Mary's womb, the incarnation, the grand miracle, as C.S. Lewis puts it. Christianity is God's miraculous coming into his very creation to redeem and restore it. Miracles abounding. Both Mary and Elizabeth are given prophetic insight and prophetic words of profound theological truth and joy. Mary affirms that God is ever engaged in his unexpected ways of lifting up the powerless, the poor, ordinary people like these two women, the brokenhearted, the needy, the child, the servant, the slave, even as he scatters and brings low to meet justice those whose power and pride is only in and of themselves. In a most humble, earthly labor, giving birth with bodily fluids, pain and beauty abounding, Mary becomes an instrument of God's work of salvation. 
Christ comes to us in a miraculous way in the little town of Bethlehem. Second, Christ comes to us at the end of the age. At Christmas, of course, we celebrate Christ's birthday. But during Advent, we press into awaiting his return. Have you ever wondered how it is that we have all these Old Testament prophecies during the weeks of Advent? Of course, they do give predictive details about Jesus' actual birth. But like the earlier chapters in the book of Zephaniah, generally the prophet's primary concern is of the Lord's judgment for those who turn away from his love. They speak of a horrible day of wrath. In fact, as we at Redeemer are concluding our series on the minor prophets, Zephaniah reaches a kind of crescendo. He describes a great day of the Lord's wrath, and we must look at it because it is associated with Christ's return at the end of the age. As in the days of Noah, the whole earth will be judged. Mary sang of a holy God. Holy is his name. God is holy, and in him is no darkness at all. No sin, no evil can stand in the presence of holiness, or it wouldn't be holy. A holy God does not just look the other way in the presence of evil. Sometimes we project onto God our own need to pretend that sin isn't all that bad. Other times we get so angry over injustice that we think that those who perpetuate such evil on others and cause so much suffering should just be wiped out. The prophets cut to the chase. God is holy. God deals with sin. Repent. Return to the God who loves you. The prophets shout. When people choose their own way, they choose destruction. But don't miss seeing, as our passage from Zephaniah shows, that God's character is mercy. Look back at our passage from Hebrews. In Christ, the sacrificial system that was set in place to make atonement for sin is abolished because in Christ's perfect, willing sacrifice of himself, the demands of holiness are satisfied, answered, fulfilled, met, became all that was needed for us to come into the presence of a holy God. Christ accomplished this, as the passage says, in his body, actual flesh, And even though the Old Testament sets the stage for understanding this, people simply were not looking for God himself to come in human flesh and become that sacrifice, a body prepared. God's character is to be merciful. His forgiveness in Christ is eternal. Here's the connection. We wait, we long for, we look for Christ's return at the end of the age. There will be apocalyptic judgment, 
even while there is joy and mercy. These are met in the heart of Christ. Early in his ministry, in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus read a passage from Isaiah in the synagogue on the Sabbath. What he read was remarkably like what his mother Mary sang before his birth. The Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As Luke recounts it, Jesus stopped right there in the middle of a sentence, which Isaiah goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Jesus was saying, that day of vengeance is not yet. Jesus' first coming was to proclaim for all to hear, Jew and non-Jew, good news. He, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has come. He is King of kings. But those two phrases, the day of judgment and the comfort of God, to rejoice over us, we who suffer are oppressed, lame, outcast, mourn, feel shame and reproach. He lifts us up. He drapes a red apple of my eye prayer shawl over our shoulders. He sees us. He knows us. He chooses us. When Jesus comes again, he is righteous judge, and he is the lamb who was slain for our sakes. Jesus was not at all the Messiah that was expected. He knew suffering as we do, and he's always with us in our suffering. Jesus brought salvation not by being strong, but by being weak, weak enough to come in the body of a human being, weak enough to become a sacrifice. He could do this because he's God's son. He's the king of kings. He is mighty to save. We are strengthened by the Christmas Christ child as we wait upon the Lord for his return. But praise God, we do not wait alone. We have one another. And we have the Holy Spirit. Because thirdly, Christ comes to us in the lives of believers every single day. Have you ever thought about how often Christ's body is referred to in our liturgy? If not before the Nicene Creed, then certainly beginning there, was incarnate, that is, made a body of flesh by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, then in the Eucharist liturgy, this is my body, this is the body of Christ, and then the prayer of humble access to our Lord, whose character is always to have mercy. We eat and drink his body and blood so that our sinful bodies may be made clean. And then the post-communion prayer, sometimes limited to Lent, but not always. We are fed by the spiritual food of Christ's most precious body and blood, 
and now we are living members of the body of Christ. We are living members of the body of Christ. This is how Christ comes to us in the lives of fellow believers. We strengthen and encourage one another. We are iron sharpening iron. We who are weary, brokenhearted, sometimes feel lost and alone, are oppressed by our own fears, anxieties, thoughts. We comfort one another. Together, we hear the bad news of the world, where refugees huddle on borders and tornadoes rip through houses and cities. And together, in Christ's name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we help. It is to this body, your body, this body, Restoration Anglican, that Christ comes in love. Zephaniah declares God's mighty power and deep, affectionate love. Mary sings of God's rescue. Jesus stands and proclaims, I'm the one you've waited for. I'm the one you continue to wait for. Advent is the season we live in. Our church calendar continues to move us through the story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, but all of our lives are lived in waiting for his return. And how does he encourage us to wait? In relationship. My husband John and I have another prayer shawl given to us by some dear friends most often when that prayer shawl comes out, it is to wrap it around the shoulders of a couple we've been marriage mentoring as we pray for them on the brink of their new committed life together. For many reasons, that particular prayer shawl has been used by us and become a symbol for us of the healing work we do in relationships in the body of Christ by the power of the Spirit. Bear with one another and forgive one another, even as Christ has forgiven you, and put on love. Today, we light the candle of love. Our lives in relationships with others are most often challenged in the 1 Corinthians 13 kind of ways. Love is patient. Love is not envious or boastful, arrogant or rude. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not insist on its own way. I could go on, but you get my point. Love came down at Christmas in the body of a baby. Love is lived in the physical bodies of our everyday lives. Mary gave birth to a baby. We give birth to a life in Christ. O holy child of Bethlehem, cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We invite the light of the world to live in us and through us in the circumstances, stories, and relationships of our particular lives. The gifts we receive in living that life 
might not be the ones we asked for. Keep waiting. Keep trusting. It is an amazing thing to lift up the gates, to open up the doors of our hearts and lives that the King of Glory may come in. I conclude with a prayer someone else shared with me. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you sent your Son to save us. Maranatha, may Jesus be born again amongst us this Christmas. Thank you, Jesus, that you came before and you are coming again in glory. Maranatha, we long for you to return and make all things new. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling my life. Maranatha, may the Lord Jesus Christ be born again in me and you today. Amen.